You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed mind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. This to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. The program is produced by Kelly Whitworth. The uh, program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. So if you're interrupted, your prostate's playing up, you've got diarrhoea, you're vomiting, relax. The program is podcast. You can actually access it by going to 3cr.org.au. What's anarchism is all about? Very simple concept. Anarchos without rulers. So the anarchist plan, you like that? The anarchist mission statement is to create a society without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of millions, hundreds of millions of people, inequalities in power and wealth? So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to share power, possibly through direct democratic means, and the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Simple concepts, nothing radical about it. What to me is radical is the ability of individuals and small cliques to determine the fate of billions of people as we see in the Ukraine and Russia, as we see in all all parts of the world. It's just extraordinary how people use God, king or queen and country to uh, mobilise us to fight their wars for their ends. Extraordinary. We're just, uh, shall I put it, awful, human awful. All right, let's move on. Let's be a little bit more positive. Every minute of every day. Now, when you live in a private investment for private profit society, every minute of every day for the majority of people is hell. I'll tell you why it's hell. I've been thinking about this for a few months now. It's hell because if you don't have disposable income, well, if you don't have enough income to meet your basic human needs, you're basically on your own, especially in societies where there is no social security system or societies like Australia where the social security system has been so diluted it's not actually able to meet the basic human needs of people who need to access the social security where they're old, they're young, they're disabled, they're unemployed. And the list goes on and on. And even if you're working, the insecurity of work these days, the fact that most people find themselves on short-term contracts or part of the gig economy or find themselves in a work situation where they are 
they don't have secure employment, and we're talking about a significant proportion of the Australian population, you begin to see how every minute of every day is filled with a fear that somehow at the end of the day you are not going to be in a position to have enough food, in a position to pay your rent, in a position to pay your mortgage, in a position to, you know, use transport, whether it's privately owned or public transport, in a position to educate your children, in a position to access health care. So every minute of every day is stressful because in a society based on private investment for private profit where you've got individuals and corporations and companies and groups that manipulate the system for their own benefit and political factions and political groups and political parties who again manipulate the parliamentary process for their short-term ends, you begin to realise that we all live in a very, very, very insecure environment. And when you throw in the threat of, you know, war, the threat of nuclear annihilation, the threat that if we are sick or have an accident, we're not going to be able to meet those financial commitments, the threat that as we grow older we're not able to earn an income after rely on a social security system or a privatised aged care system, you begin to realise how ridiculous it is for us to be part of a system which is based on private investment for private profit, where there's no cooperation, no mutual aid, no access to the basic necessities of life. And that's why we've talked about in the past about a universal basic income, which you can introduce in any type of society, whether it's capitalist, communist, socialist, you know, vegetarian. <laughs> doesn't really matter. Religious fundamentalist. Having a universal basic income actually gives everybody that ability to access the basic necessities of life. So think of it. Do we really want to spend every minute of every day thinking about our security, especially our financial security? Do we really want to spend every minute every day paying back financial institutions, exorbitant amount of interests, payments, in order to have a roof over our head? or have some of the basic necessities of life. And that's the dilemma of living in a capitalist society, one based on private investment for private profit. Not a capitalist society which is based on, you know, the old concept of uh, little businesses, you know, competing against each other in an open marketplace. It's nothing like that. It's about governments which have been garroted. That's right, garroted. You may not know what garroting is. It's a... It was a pleasant type of punishment which was meted out in Spain for centuries where people were slowly strangled and the Franco regime was still garroting anarchists in the 1970s, in the early 1970s. So we see that parliamentary democracy or parliamentary rule, whatever you like to call it, has now been garroted 
by that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And that's why every day we seem as individuals and as communities and as, you know, humanity face the same problems every day. And even some of the most basic, simple things we can't seem as a society to deal with. Things like childhood poverty, which I mention every week. Things like a disintegrating aged care system. Things like a Medicare system which is so underfunded by governments that now healthcare, access to primary healthcare is becoming a privilege not a right. Introduction of Medicare in 1973, which was a universal healthcare system, meant that, uh, that Australians had access to basic primary healthcare as a right, not a privilege. We have seen the disintegration of Medicare as I speak. The disappearance of bulk billing at a primary level, at a general practice level. It's disappeared years ago at a specialist level. And we're seeing people make major decisions regarding their health dependent on how much disposable income is in their pockets, let alone about dental care. So why cannot we as a society, which is a relatively small population from a world population of over 7.5 billion people, we've got 25 million of us living on this continent, why can't we actually address any of these problems and why when we try to address these problems we find we find that they are sabotaged by the private investment for private profit model look at the NDIS national disability insurance scheme which I struggled for for over 40 years we saw legislation introduced which introduced it and now we've seen major issues because of the private investment outsourced model which has been used to deliver those services where we see the private sector bleeding, bleeding this particular system. And what we've seen over the last 40 years, and I'm sorry to repeat this again, during the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation revolution which has swept across the world, what we've seen is greater divisions appear in society. What we've seen is the private sector gorging itself on public money to provide minimal services to the people as a whole. I'll give you an example. Currently, if you have any dealings with any government departments, you will find that it can take months just to get an appointment to deal with this issue. And people talk about the fact that it's all due to COVID-19. It's not due to COVID-19 restrictions, especially now when COVID-19 has become a personal issue where the state has basically vacated the space and said, well, if you get COVID-19, that's your problem. It's It's not a community problem anymore. So what we are seeing is the legacy 
That's right. The legacy of the Abbott-Morrison government. An 11-year legacy which has seen the politicisation and the destruction of the public service with more and more and more public services being outsourced to a private sector. And at the same time, we have seen the Abbott-led and Turnbull-led and Morrison-led Liberal parties actually stack the boards of public institutions with losers as political favours. They don't care about the departments they are heads of, have been appointed to. They're there to collect their salary, have a nice lunch, maybe flirt with the people around them. They don't care about what actually is happening and how everything has come to a gridlock in this country. Gridlock. I'll give you an example. If you're on some type of permanent protection visa and you want to get a passport, you can't get an appointment to actually get travel documents. It's impossible. If you're trying to solve, if you're trying to access some type of social security benefit, it takes ages to actually get somebody to deal with it. And if you're not computer literate, well, you basically don't exist. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So why do we allow this model to continue to exist ad nauseum, the private investment for private profit model? Why do we allow it to exist ad nauseum? You know? I don't know. Do you know? It's not fit for purpose. Not fit for human consumption. Not fit for human society. But we, as a people, lap it up. Because one day, one day we think we're going to win the lotto and we're going to be in a position we've got the disposable income to, um, you know, sort it all out. But we're not. So if you're spending every minute of every day thinking about your bills, about your kids' futures, about your family and friends, because you're concerned about the financial situation you find yourself in, especially in a situation where we now have, you know, rapidly increasing interest rates because of the system itself, and obviously you've got to pay for that inadequacies in the system itself. Well, now is the time to think that there are alternative ways, there are different ways of society can be organised, especially in a society as rich as ourselves. But while we allow the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication to dominate the parliamentary agenda, while we allow them to make profits, extreme profits, at our expense, we are not going to be in a position to solve any of the problems we face as a society and as a nation. And that's the dilemma that we all face. And that's why here on the Anarchist World this week we keep saying, it's not a matter of, you know, rules. It's a matter of rulers. It's about a matter of inequalities in power and wealth. And the anarchist struggle is the struggle to share power, 
share wealth. And the dilemma is in a society where there has been little change apart from cosmetic change, the dilemma is that most people are now resigned to the situation they find themselves in. They shrug their shoulders and they say, well, there's not much you can do about it. That's the way life is. I'm more interested in the football or the tennis or whatever. You know, but the reality is that insecurity that we all, financial insecurity most of us face in this country is directly related to the type of society we've created and the institutional structures which ensure that, that those inequalities continue to exist irrespective of the lovely documentaries and the radio programs and the films about the inadequacies in society. It's one thing to expose the inadequacies. It's another thing to link those inadequacies to the inequalities which occur in society because we have allowed that small percentage that own the means of production, distribution, exchange, communication and the investment class that has disposable income to invest, to dominate every aspect of Australian society. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. Now, there's an interesting little thing happening in the Pacific. If you can ask you a question, think about it. What did the Whitlam Labor government and the current Solomon Islands government have in common? What do they have in common? 50 years apart, what do they have in common? Very simple. When the Whitlam-led Labor government was talking about closing down US bases in Australia, when they were floating discussions about nationalising this country's mineral wealth, We saw the dismissal of the Whitlam-Lib Labor government. We saw an avalanche of hysteria in the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC regarding those policies. Currently, we are seeing the same things with the Solomon's government. We saw a year ago the Solomon government pushed into the hands of the Chinese Communist Party for one very good reason. Because the US government was destabilising the Solomon Islands by providing resources and money to the opposition, which led to riots which were meant to topple the Solomon Islands government. But the Solomon Islands government then formed a loose association with the Chinese government. And now when the US and Australia are running around the Pacific trying to uh, re- uh, dominate the area and have floated a US Pacific Islands partnership, the Solomon Islands government has refused to participate. So keep an eye on the Solomon Islands because you'll see attempts to destabilise that government by Australian and US interests. Huge attempt. You may even see assassination attempts. You may even see sanctions applied. You may even see support for opposition parties increasing. 
you may see increasing violence in the Solomon Islands. Because if there's one thing the United States cannot tolerate, it's people coming on to what they describe as their patch, their part of the world. So when, when the Whitlam-led Labor government tried to stray a little bit away from the United States-Australian um, alliance, it didn't take long for the United States government to ensure that the Whitlam-Labor government was uh, dissolved. And the same fate awaits the Solomon Island people, unless people like you and me draw that historical analogy and uh, do something to broach that particular issue because knowledge is not power, but it's important. It's important to know how things develop. There's nothing new in the world. Everything you know, has got a historical analogy. And what is happening in the Solomon Islands now, the ability to destabilise and topple the current government which was elected, let's not forget that, it's not a military dictatorship, is uh, part and parcel of the activities which have been used by the United States government ad nauseum since the Second World War to destabilise and change political directions in countries from, from the South America to the Pacific to the Middle East to Europe and the list goes on and on. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. I'm a bit amazed. Yeah, it takes a bit to amaze me these days, but I'm a bit amazed by the Australian media jumping up and down about a far-right party and a far-right Prime Minister in Italy. Everybody's agog and aghast that the Maloney partnership with the Berlusconi romp and the Liga romp, will bring a far-right government to Italy. And listening to the policies which were elucidated by Maloney, a few have been watered down. It's interesting. The co-relation they have with the Howard Abbott Turnbull Morrison policies regarding immigration, regarding how to deal with people who arrive in the country in an unorthodox manner seeking asylum. And it's fascinating when these policies were introduced and implemented in this country and continue to be implemented, don't forget there are still people in in um, prison, let's call it prison for what it is, 10 years after they applied for political asylum in this country and there are still people who will be asked to leave and go to another country because they arrived after a specific date in this country. So what Maloney, Prime Minister Maloney, the new Italian Prime Minister, is proposing 
is no different to what was implemented, not proposed, but implemented in this country by successive governments over the past 20 years. No different. Indefinite detention of people seeking asylum. Indefinite detention, which is constitutional under the Australian Constitution. And if you think that they've got a far-right government, we've had a far-right government for a long time in this country. Think about it. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano, hosting this program. Look, there are a few websites you can go to. Just go to my Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano. Public interest before corporate interest, pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can go to YouTube, uh, uh, public interest before corporate interest. There's Instagram, you name it. There's podcast, 3cr.org.au. It's all there. And if you're not interested in computers, you can always uh, give us a ring on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. Or you can always write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 30. Post Office Box 20, 3052. That's right, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. I've um, been interested for a long time in how governments' policies foster racism in Australian society. I'm not talking about the black and white, you know, um, white Australia policy, which uh, was abolished, I think, finally in 1972 by the Whitlam Leader Labor government, naughty government that was, abolishing that bastion of Australianism. But I'm fascinated by how government policies of the last few decades have fanned racism in this country. It's very simple. It's exceptionally simple the way it's done. But most people don't seem to understand it. They blame the person who's, you know, carrying on about racial differences. You know, the untouchables, the evil ones. But it's very simple, and we've seen it over and over and over again in Australia. What you do is you open up the country, right? You open up the country to cheap labour. You change the country's immigration policies and bring people in on short-term visas, Simple. Not skilled migrants, but people to do normal, everyday work. And many of these people who are brought across, or used to be brought across, and who we want to bring across again on these short-term visas, then are placed in direct 
competition with semi-skilled and unskilled workers in our society. It's not direct competition with people with secure permanent jobs. And it's actually the people who find themselves at the cutting edge of these immigration policies are the very people who somehow think that the person who's taken their job or will take their job or has kept wages down, who's of a different colour or speaks a different language, that it's somehow it's their fault because they're there, they're visible, people can talk to them about it, you know, shout at them, call them all the names in the book. The reality is this is a direct consequence of government policy which maximises profits for corporations. This type of immigration policy brings in workers who are non-unionised, who don't join unions, who at the end of the day are given the opportunity to become permanent residents and possibly citizens as long as they keep their heads down, don't talk, don't complain, irrespective of the conditions they find themselves in, irrespective of the way they are exploited by this country's businesses, whether it's small, large, medium, doesn't really matter, the exploitation of these migrant workers was what was, was was the glue that kept the hospitality industry ticking over. And now that we have a shortage of labour, governments want to introduce the same policies in order to resolve their problems. The fact is, these government policies were introduced, one, to put a downward pressure on wages, and two, to de-unionise workplaces. Less than 10% of workers in private industry are now unionised. Many industries don't have one union member. The gig economy, totally non-unionised. And the list goes on and on. And this is a direct result of government policies. Think about it. So if you're working next to somebody who's on a short-term visa or has come here to this country, is now on a permanent visa or something, it's not their fault. It's not the fact they're a different colour or speak a different language or have a different religion. It's not their fault that wages are driven down, the workplaces are de-unionised. It's specific government policy which is designed to create an environment which allows 
racism to flare up over and over and over again. And the type of job I do, I meet a lot of people. And although there are laws against racial discrimination, although, you know, everybody tuck-tuts about it, the fact is that at the end of the day, there is a huge amount of resentment among a significant proportion of Australians. And people need to understand that that resentment is directly attributable to government policies which are designed to keep a lid on wages and de-unionise workplaces. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Let's move on. Now, Peter Norman. I spent a little bit of time on this because we haven't done any, anything about this for a while because of um, restrictions. I'm issuing you a personal invitation to stand with us, to stand with me, to celebrate Peter Norman Day, Human Rights Day, at 2pm, Sunday the 9th of October. That's just, what, 10 days away. 2pm, Sunday the 9th of October, at Lakeside Stadium, at the, Peter, at the site of the Peter Norman statue. That's 33... Oh, this is a big one. A-U-G-H-T-I-E, Orgophy Drive, Albert Park in Melbourne. Why? Why waste an hour on a nice Sunday afternoon when you can be, you know, watching TV or something? Why waste an hour? Why congregate at Peter Norman's statue? Who was Peter Norman? Peter Norman, 15642 to the 3rd of October 2006. On the 16th of October 1968, at the Mexico Olympics, Peter Norman won the silver medal in a 200-metre sprint in a time of 20.06 seconds, a record that still stands in Australia 54 years later. No Australian has bettered that record in 54 years. Now, that's not the reason we celebrate Peter Norman. There's been a lot of great Australian athletes over the years. Peter Norman featured in one of the most recognised, pivotal moments in 20th century history. Yes, one of the most pivotal moments in 20th century history. Black athletes in the United States track and field team toyed with the idea of boycotting the Mexico Olympics to protest about the lack of human rights in the United States for Afro-Americans and other and many other Americans. This wasn't just about Afro-Americans. Instead of boycotting the 1968 Olympics, they formed the Olympic Project for Human Rights, an organisation that was open to all United States 
Olympians. Now, those of you who are old enough will remember that 1968 was a pivotal, pivotal year, both in the United States and the rest of the world. The Soviet Union invaded Czechoslovakia when the country attempted to break away from the Soviet Union. Student, student protests broke out across the world, especially in Europe, against United States and Soviet imperialism. Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King were assassinated in the United States in 1968. On the eve of the Olympic, uh, the eve of the of the Olympics, hundreds, hundreds of Mexican students who were protesting were killed, killed in Mexico City by the Mexican army, shot like dogs. On the eve of the 200 metre Olympic medal presentation, Tommy Smith, the gold medalist, and John Carlos, the bronze medalist, both African-Americans, asked Peter Norman, Little Peter Norman, you know, our little mate, Peter Norman. Never been out of Australia before. They asked him two questions. Do you believe in human rights? Do you believe in God? When he answered yes to both questions, the Americans told him about their plans to which Peter replied, I will stand with you. John Carlos stated in later interviews that when they talked to Peter Norman, he saw love in his eyes, not fear. On the way to the medal presentation, Peter Norman borrowed an Olympic Project for Human Rights badge from Paul Hoffman a US white rower, which he wore on the dais when Tommy Smith and John Carlos gave the human rights salute. And I use the word human rights for one very good reason. Smith and Carlos wore no shoes to demonstrate the poverty faced by many Americans. In the rush to get to the medical medal, medal presentation, John Carlos left his gloves in the Olympic Village. Peter Norman suggested they wear one glove each. Tommy Smith wore one block boxing glove on his right hand. John Carlos wore the other on the, on the left hand. Tommy Smith has always stated their salute was not about black power. It was about human rights. Tommy Smith and... John Carlos was stripped of their medals and ostracised in the USA. In 1968, Australians had just passed a referendum the previous year that gave the Commonwealth Government power to legislate for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. In 1968, the Australian White Australia policy was still in force in Australia. Peter Norman was ostracised and criticised for his support for human rights when he returned to Australia. Just look at the some of the articles in Murdoch's Australian 
and you'll during that period and you'll realise the hatred that Mr Norman faced when he returned home, you know, for having the courage to stand with Smith and Carlos for human rights. He was denied the opportunity to run for his country at the Munich Olympics in 1972, although in 13 occasions he bettered the 200 metres Olympic qualifying time. What's even more interesting, because obviously there's discussions about whether you know he was the suitable candidate to go to the Munich Olympics. What's interesting, that in the year 2000, during the Sydney Olympics, Although he was asked to participate in some pre-Olympic activities in Melbourne, he was not invited to Sydney. The US track and field team was so disgusted by the treatment they invited him to join them as their guest in the Olympic Village in Sydney. Peter Norman died on the 3rd of October 2006. Tommy Smith and John Carlos delivered eulogies at his funeral and acted as pallbearers for his coffin. The US Track and Field Federation, realising the personal cost Peter Norman bore throughout his life because of his brave, dignified and moral stand in the struggle for universal human rights, declared 9th of October, the day of his funeral in 2006, as Peter Norman Day, a day that is celebrated in the United States and ignored in, is still ignored in this country. In 2012, the House of Representatives passed a watered-down apology for the treatment Peter Norman received in Australia as a result of his actions. In 2014, the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee was formed to try to have a memorial for human rights built in his honour. In 2018, the Melbourne City Council Plaques and Memorials Committee refused point-blank to support our request to build a monument to mark that pivotal moment. Later that year, Neville Stiltoe, Peter Norman's Olympic coach, who watched his silver medal performance on black and white television in Melbourne, with support from Athletics Australia, convinced the Victorian government to fund a monument that was unveiled at the entrance to Lakeside Stadium in Melbourne on the 9th of October 2019, almost three years ago. The Peter Norman Commemoration Committee had been holding commemorations every year on the 9th of October until 2019 outside Melbourne Town Hall. In 2018, we conducted a one-day seminar in Melbourne with numerous guest speakers, including Peter Norman's family, Robert D. Costello, and pre-recorded messages from Tommy Smith and John Carlos to mark the 50th anniversary of this momentous event that still has major ramifications in Australia today. In 2018, the Australian Olympic Committee awarded Peter Norman an Order of Merit for his human rights stand. Unfortunately, no commemorations were held in 2020 and 2021 as a result of COVID-wide restrictions in Melbourne.
This year, 2022, the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee will be holding a commemoration at the site of his statue at Lakeside Stadium to mark Peter Norman Day. We still believe a significant monument needs to be built in the Melbourne CBD to mark his human rights stand. In an era of increasing tensions within Australian society and continuing human rights violations, not just in Australia but around the world, the stand that was taken by Peter Norman transcends sport. It's time his actions are celebrated in this country. Not the actions of an athlete, but the act of somebody who was ahead of his time. It was quite simple for Peter Norman to ignore Smith, Smith and Carlos' requests in 1968. He said, I will stand with you. Hopefully, few people turn up on the 9th of October. I suggest you go to the um, Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, and uh, read all about it, as they say. But I think the important thing is each and every one of us, each and every one of us, will be asked at some time or on numerous occasions during our life to take a stand. Unfortunately, most of us turn our backs and walk away. The story of Peter Norman, irrespective of his personal failings, is not a story of an Olympic silver medalist, is not a story of somebody who still holds the 200 metres record in Australia 54 years later. It's a story of somebody who decided to not turn his back when asked for support. And that's what this story is about. And that's what this commemoration is about. Obviously, there are gross human rights issues in this country stemming from the very first time Europeans put their foot on this continent. There are human rights violations, not just in terms of race and gender, sexual preference, age, income. But there are violations which occur constantly because of this type of society we've become. And to walk away only reinforces those human rights violations and those inequalities which exist in society. And the difference between us and other people in society, the difference to people who listen to the Anarchist World this week and other people in society is we don't walk away irrespective of the consequences, we do not walk away and we should celebrate that moment.
I'm Peter Norman Day. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scott. I'm hosting today's program. Now, talking about walking away. Now, I've been involved in a lot of election campaigns, not because I'm going to be elected. Let's be realistic. I've got a snowflake's chance in hell of being elected to anything. Not even the local, um, let's say, um, historical society committee. But it's been a long time since I've seen so much resignation in the community regarding the forthcoming state election in Victoria. And I've been pretty disgusted over the last four years. You know, I've been a doctor, what, 45, 46, no, 47 years. And I've been disgusted by what's been happening in Victoria, not just because of COVID-19, you know, and its impact. I mean, these problems existed before COVID-19 and to some degree COVID-19 kind of hid, 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 hid them for a while. But I've been disgusted by the so-called political agenda of the Andrews-led Labor government in Victoria. An agenda which is based on basically making things which people can see to give people the idea the government is doing the right thing and ignoring basic human needs. And I've always felt that we should be concentrating, governments anyway, should be concentrating on satisfying basic human needs. And if there's one thing that Australia fails in miserably every day, it's the satisfaction of the basic human needs of a, pop- a minuscule population of 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent. Things like food security, energy security, housing, health, education, recreation. Nothing radical about that. But in the 21st century, during the era of privatisation, corporatisation, deregulation and globalisation, it's become radical. That's right. It's become radical to actually talk about citizens and residents having food security, access to health, access to housing, access to education, energy security, even access to recreation. It's become radical, basic, simple reforms. We have been so caught up in the private investment for private profit, you know, mantra, that we have forgotten forgotten that the way forward is not through some construction blitz building things for no particular reason but having policies that satisfy basic human needs and the thing is we can fund these policies by introducing taxes not which affect ordinary people Because if there's one thing that highlights what's happened in the society in the last 40 years during this period is the fact that the income um, triangle has been 
inversed. Forty years ago, for every dollar an investment investor invested, two thirds of any profit would go back to the people who created that dollar, and one third would go to the investor. Today, in this new era when parliamentary democracy or representative democracy has been garroted by that 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, we find that for every dollar that is made in profit by an investor, two-third goes to the investor and one-third goes to the people who created that profit. It's an extraordinary turnaround in 40 years. And when you have a situation where people are resigned to the fact that nothing will ever change, that there's no point struggling against this inequality, we have a situation where we are never able to solve even the the most basic human needs of people in our society. That's why next week on the program I'll be making a decision publicly on whether I'm in a position to nominate uh, for the, for the uh, electorate of Mulgrave in Melbourne the Premier's electorate, Mr Daniel Andrews, and actually stand against Mr Andrews on a policy based on positive human-focused reform. So I encourage you to listen to the program next week because I will need support. I'll need financial support. I'll need people uh, to support the campaign. And obviously we will need more people to act as nominees. But I'm feeling confident that we should go ahead with this campaign because obviously if we do nothing, nothing will ever change. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program has been broadcast across Australia courtesy of the Community Radio Network. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. Facebook pages, Toscano for the Public, um, Joseph Toscano, Defend and Extend Public Housing, Public Housing Everybody's Business, Instagram, you name it, Twitter, we're on it. It doesn't matter. You can always ring me. I'm looking for people to ring. 0439 395 489. If I don't answer the phone, leave a message with a return number and I'll get back to you. And if you live in, in Springvale in Mulgrave in Melbourne and you wish to nominate me to stand against Mr Daniel Andrews, I'm looking forward to your call. 0439 395 489-0439-395-489. Listen to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Sorcerer of death construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.